Um, Pastor Brad's been been doing a series on contending, so I just figured I would uh, continue with that tonight um, and go into the, the Word of God in Genesis uh, 37. And I really wanted to focus tonight on... Um, on Joseph, on the life of Joseph, and him contending for something in his life. Because Joseph, uh, you, how many know Joseph? You guys are familiar with Joseph? Okay, Joseph had to contend a long time. It wasn't something that happened overnight. So I really want to look at this because there are some things in life that we have to contend for over time. There are some things that happen quickly, you know, almost immediately at times. But then there are other things that we have to contend for and fight for. We have to, we have to stay firm and steadfast. So uh, we, have to, we have to look at the word and, and look at what the Lord shows us. Because I want to give you three things tonight. I want you to get a notebook, write on your phone, text or, you know, jot on your phone, whatever, however you take notes. But I want you to, to write down down things that come to your mind tonight if you have not already been contending for something and you are you can't say yes I have certain things in my life that I'm pointing at that I know what I'm contending for I know what I'm standing for I know what I'm believing for I have scripture around it I'm declaring it if you haven't done that then I want you to begin to do that tonight because if we don't have a destination if we don't have a vision then anywhere we end up is just okay right if we get in the car and just drive without any kind of direction it's like wherever we end up is going to be okay because we can't go up to someone and say, uh, how do I get to just anywhere? They're going to look at you and say, uh, you're crazy. Just go. Press the gas pedal. Go. You know, you'll end up anywhere. But if you want to get to a certain direction or a certain location, then you've got to ask directions for that location, and, and they'll give you step-by-step -step instructions to get there. So we have to have a vision of where we're going. If I drive south but I want to go north, that's the wrong direction. I'm, I'm headed in the wrong direction. So we have to have vision. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. How do I contend? How do I, how do I uh, stand fast? And what are the things that God looks for in that? So we're going to go through that. So are we at Genesis 37? Okay. I want to, and I know that, that the story of Joseph takes quite a few chapters. We're not going to read all of the chapters tonight. But we're going to skip around a little bit and, and hit certain points in his life. Uh, but Genesis 37.1, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he bought their, sorry, brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. With his brother, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream. Say, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain cut out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will, you, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. 
So I want to start out here with looking at Joseph. He had a dream. God was giving him something in his spirit, in his understanding of something that was going to come to pass. Now, Joseph didn't handle the information very wisely, but uh, he did have a vision. He did have this dream. So this is set before him. And, and he goes out and he tells his, you know, he tells his brothers. And, of course, that makes, him, makes them all the more angry because they were already upset with him. Because it says that, that he had a bad report to say about his brothers. He came back to dad. He was out there shepherding the field. It's like, I'm going to tell on you. You know, that's pretty much what it was like. I'm going to tell dad. So he goes back and tells dad whatever it was that they were doing or whatever was going on. But he spreads this bad report. And he, and he goes back to his father. And it's like this bond between him and his dad gets stronger. Because right after that, he says he gets this ornamented robe or this robe of many colors, this special robe that the others don't get and so there's this favoritism going on and the other brothers are angry and they're mad and it starts to grow in them this bitterness begins to grow and so Joseph again has another dream and says uh, gives them that dream too you would think you would have learned the first time but he didn't and so he's got this dream stirring up in him and sometimes we can have a dream and it stirs up but we don't get the response we want from everybody you know, we tell this dream or we tell this, this great thing that we want to do, this thing that's been imparted or implanted in us, and not everybody gets excited. Not everybody's going to respond. There's some people that will, that will throw some doubt in there on our dream and, and say, well, you know, uh, have you thought about this? Well, why are you doing that? You know, I'm sure you guys dealt with that before you moved. You know, a lot of doubt, a lot of things that, all the things that you're going to face, all the things, well, why do you want to do that? You got family here to take care of you. You know, why do you want to move over there? You don't have, you don't know anybody. So there's a lot of things that people can throw at you whenever you share a dream that's been imparted. So first and foremost, I want you to write down, you must have a dream or a vision. Now, I do want to add this because sometimes we'll just take like any dream or any vision, anything that we want to do. But is it God persuaded? Because many times, because that's what faith is. If you actually look at the word faith, it's an inward persuasion from God. An inward persuasion from God. That means God is persuading you to move in a certain direction, to move towards a certain thing. That's what faith is. And of course, the enemy tries to come in and come against that faith and come against that, that desire. He'll bring discouragement and doubt in, in front of that thing to try to block you from getting to it. He'll bring circumstances and situations in your way to try to keep you from moving forward and getting discouraged. In fact, discouragement is the very enemy to a vision. Discouragement is the very enemy to a vision. So as a result, guess what? You've got to guard against discouragement. That's the very thing you've got to guard against. When someone comes and they're throwing doubt into this situation, they're telling you all the things that can't be, won't be, all the things that shouldn't be, all the things that you should really think about because have you thought about this? Are you sure you want to do that? Well, nobody in our family's done that. Why would you do that? Why do you think you can do that? All of the doubt, those are things of discouragement. It doesn't matter whose mouth it comes out of. It's discouragement. You've got to guard against discouragement because a discouraged heart loses hope. And a discouraged heart doesn't, the vision starts getting clouded. Faith starts getting diluted and watered down. So we have to guard against that very discouragement. Now, Joseph, he didn't have a whole lot of time uh, <laughs> for discouragement around his dreams because all of a sudden, guess what? He gets thrown into a pit by his brothers. I'm going to paraphrase some of this so we don't have to read it all. But his brothers uh, see him coming. He's supposed to be checking on them. He goes and out and he finds them. And, and they're like, oh, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that, that one that's always throwing dreams in our face and thinks we're going to bow down to him someday. <laughs> we'll show him. And so they're, they're like, let's kill him. 
no, don't kill him. The oldest one's like, don't kill him. Let's, let's put him in a pit. And he's thinking, I'll go back later and get him and, and get him out. But then they're, they're like, all right, we'll put him in the pit. But then while the oldest one's away, then, then they sell him to s- some Ishmaelites that are coming through on their way to Egypt. So they sell him as a slave. And you know what? The amount of money that they sold him for, because I figured it up, if they would have split it all between them, because it was, it was right under $200 in, in today's time. $200. They sold him for $200. A family member. Your brother sold him for $200. They're, they're hardly getting anything apiece. It's crazy. There's 10 of them. They're barely getting $20. It's like insane. This is, what, this is what bitterness does to a person. This is what unforgiveness does to a person. It makes them think that crazy things are a great idea. And it's like they'll do anything even for the, just for the satisfaction of hurting, just for the satisfaction uh, of just getting rid of him. But the sad thing is there was no remorse. They, they, in fact, they took his coat his ornamented robe, and they, they go out, they kill an animal, put the blood on it, take it back to dad, and say, is this Joseph's? Is this your son's? And of course, he's like, oh, a wild animal must have gotten a hold of him. I'll grieve till my dying day for my son Joseph. And so they let him think that his son is dead, while Joseph gets carried off by the Ishmaelites to Egypt. He gets to Egypt, and then a man named Potiphar buys him as a slave. Now, Potiphar is the captain of the guards of the Pharaoh's palace. So he has a high position. And he's, he's the one that buys Joseph. So I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Think about this. If Joseph has this dream, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in this position. My brothers are going to bow down to me, my father, my mother. I'm going to be ruling over them. I must be the king of this land. I must be going to be the, the one that rises to the top of my family. You know, and he's, he's got this vision, which in reality is very small <laughs> compared to what, what God's ordaining it to be. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Joseph is probably trying to make this plan, this dream work where he's at right now, and it's not for this time. He's trying to make this plan work in, in the land he's in, but it's for the land of Egypt. He's trying to, to uh, get this seed planted in them that you're going to bow. I'm going to be ruling over you guys. I believe that there was probably a little bit of pride in Joseph that needed worked out because that's why he came back with a bad report about his brothers because he's making himself look a little loftier, a little higher than his brothers when he comes back and complains about them. So he's got a little bit of this uh, uh, thread of pride that needs worked out. But the thing is, he he goes to Egypt, and Potiphar buys him. But I want to touch on a couple of things here before we move on to the second one. Because many times, here's the thing. You can see Joseph has this vision. But sometimes when we have a vision, we're looking at it for ourselves. Think about it. Everybody's going to bow down to me. I'm going to reign. I'm going to be king. I'm going to rule. I'm going to have rulership over, over, you know, my family or my tribe or whatever it is. You're thinking about self, right? You're thinking about what this is going to do for you. He's not thinking a bit about how God's going to set him up to help nations, to bring food to nations later on during a family. He's not thinking of that. He's not thinking big picture. He's not thinking of anybody else. He's thinking, I'm going to reign. And sometimes a dream or a vision can be a little bit deceiving because we can have this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and we want it all for our own purposes. And we're not really thinking about how is this going to impact other people? What is my purpose in pouring into other people. So even in our vision, in fact, I did it for myself today. I wrote down things that I'm contending for, and then under each one of them I wrote why. Contending for this. Why? Contending for this. Why? Contending for this. Why? Because it checks our heart. 
Am I doing this for the right reason? Or am it, and I'm not saying God doesn't want to bless because he does want to bless you. He wants you to be blessed to be a blessing. He wants to bless you because you're his child. I mean, do we want to bless our own children? Yes. Well, he's higher than we are. He's greater than we are. So he wants to bless you. It's not that he doesn't want to do that. But many times God, in fact, we, we went through this at, with uh, the women's retreat this past week, and we talked about legacy. And we talked uh, about how we have to think beyond the grave. And what that means is we got to think beyond the day we die. What am I imparting into someone else? What am I taking that I've learned, understood, grown in, figured out in life spiritually, not just handing possessions over? What do I have on the inside of me that's worth something to pass on to someone else? Thinking beyond the end of our life and the next generation or other people and how it gets passed down or passed over to other people so that they can have an impact to someone else. God, that's how God thinks. Because God thinks from beginning to end. He's not thinking of the 70, 80 years of our time span. He's thinking from beginning to end. If this person completes their assignment and pours into this person, and this person pours into this person, and this person, and this person, and then they spread out, and then they pour into other people, generation, 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 hundreds and thousands of years later, a legacy is passed on. So God doesn't look at things the way we look at him. His thoughts are higher. His ways are higher than our ways, right? So we've got to open our understanding and our mind to how he thinks. God wasn't just thinking Joseph's family is going to be blessed through Joseph. He's thinking bigger. But Joseph doesn't quite understand that yet. So we got to be careful that our, our vision isn't looking too uh, consumed by us, just all me. You know, just my vision's all about me. It's all about me being blessed. Yes, God wants to bless you, but he wants you to be a blessing, and he wants you to impart into other people. He wants you to have an impact. Look at every person in the Bible that God used as an example. They had huge impact. It wasn't just, oh, well, you know, they, they were just blessed themselves and they, they had just this great home and, and, you know, lots of camels and they never impacted anybody. No, God wants us to have influence. That's what, it, that's what everything is about, influence, so that we can impart the gospel into other people. So we must realize the character that's going to be involved in this. Because it's easy to look at the vision and say, well, in fact, it's kind of like what, what Pastor Brad said to you guys. He said, you didn't know what was coming until you stepped into it. And then things, then you're like, oh, <laughs> we have to contend for this. Oh, we have to contend for a job. We have to contend uh, for, for, you know, to, to be able to, to homeschool, you know? That's what a lot of homeschool families have. They have to contend to school their children because they're living off of one inc income. Many times that's a faith step because in the beginning, many times they're not prepared for that, but they're doing it for their children. They're doing it because they, they want to impart into their children. These are faith steps, and they take these steps of faith because they believe God's word is true, and he will provide. So many times we're not seeing what we're going to face until we step into it. But then that's when we got to realize the character's got to kick in. The character's got to kick in. So we can't get ahead of ourselves and try to step into our vision before it's time, before it's in the right place and for the right purposes. Because... Joseph was probably trying to do that. And then all of a sudden, put the brakes on. He's in a pit being sold as a slave. So now he's in Egypt. And he's, he is uh, the property of Potiphar. So let's look at point number two. Point number one is we have to have a dream or a vision, and we've got to guard it. We've got to protect it. Point number two. For point number one, 
Oh, I haven't said it yet. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> Point number two is you, you have to be committed to God. You have to be committed to God above the dream or vision. There will be, yes, but I'm on point two now. You have to be committed to God above the dream or the vision. Why do I say that? Because if you're committed to the vision more than you're committed to God, you'll go after that vision and you'll put the things of God aside. Or you'll compromise your character, you'll compromise things because, oh, this is, this is the vision. Well, God's not going to be disappointed if I take this and do this because here I am. He wants me to complete the vision, and here I am along the way making bad decisions, taking jobs maybe I shouldn't have taken, doing things maybe I shouldn't have done. Uh, now it's pulling me out of, out of connection with God. I find myself away from God instead of closer to God. People take take jobs all the time that pull them away from God. People do things all the time that pull them away from God. Greed sets in or whatever it may be, even a recreation. I heard Teddy Shuttlesworth say one time, you know, why would God want to bless you with a boat if your Sundays are going to be filled with going out on the lake now? And you're not going to be in church and you're not serving him. Why would he want to bless you with something that's going to pull you away from him? But if he can trust you with it, then that's different. So we've got to be committed to God above the vision or the dream. So I want you to turn over to chapter 39. Chapter 39. And let's look at, look at what happens with Joseph in his life in Egypt now. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now understand, how did he get to that position? Well, Joseph had to make a decision because I'm telling you what, getting sold by your brothers, that's, a, that's reason and cause to be angry, is it not? It's reason and cause to have some bitterness in your heart, to be frustrated, and then to look at this dream you just had and say, how in the world are my brothers, how's this going to come to pass now? I'm in Egypt. This is like days away. Nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody knows what's going to happen to my life. My brothers hate me. They don't even want me back. How's this dream going to come to pass now? It looks like everything is a mess. It looks like it's done. He, he could have buried the dream. Well, that one's done and over. That one's not coming to pass. That one's shot. Well, I guess I just need to get a new dream. Guess I need to get a new vision. He could have let bitterness set in. He could have let resentment set in. And when that happens, we sit around and feel sorry for ourselves. We sit around and talk about how bad it is, and we sit around and, and look at how someone else is to blame for, for the situation in our life. But do you hear anything that Joseph did? Even his actions point to a different manner. He did everything for Potiphar. What did he do? He came in and he was excellent 
Does it have those words? No. But does, does a great man like Potiphar, who is the head over the guards of the palace, does he put someone in charge that's lazy? No. Great men don't put lazy people in charge. Great men don't put people that mess up all the time in charge. Great men don't say, oh, well, this guy here, he, he shows up part of the time, and, you know, sometimes you just never know. Let's put him in charge. No. He's reliable. He's excellent. He's faithful. He Everything that he does, and he's not going to steal from you because otherwise, obviously, Potiphar wouldn't put him in charge. So we have these indicators that point towards the type of man Joseph chose to be. And I say that because he had to choose it. Don't tell me that he wasn't sitting here dealing with these emotions and these feelings of betrayal. He was human. So he had to deal with these things. And he had to make a choice. He had to choose. I will be excellent. I'm going to serve this man. I'm going to do for him what I would do for myself. So he served him with an excellent spirit. And he rose to the top. And everything Potiphar had, he entrusted to Joseph. He didn't worry about anything. He gave it all to Joseph. Here, you take care of it. Because Joseph would take care of it like it was his own. He was faithful. So this comes down to our character of he chose to serve God. He chose to make himself accountable to God and not to man. And not be resentful even when he had the opportunity to. Now let's go to the next. Let's pick up where I left off. Right in the middle of six, it says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is trust entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now listen, all this time it's been my master doesn't concern himself. My master's entrusted everything. My master's withheld nothing. Now all of a sudden shift. Listen, how could I do such a wicked thing against my God? He wasn't doing it because he's looking at his master. Because, you know, I'm sure there were times when he felt his master failed him. I'm sure there were probably times he was disappointed in maybe his master's decisions. Because man is not perfect and man will fail us. And man will say things and man will come across the wrong way, even when they didn't intend to, and man will mess up. But he made the choice because how can I do this thing against God? His commitment was to God because if our commitment is to God, then every other part of our life will overflow godliness because God will hold us accountable. God's not going to say, yeah, you know what? He, he's been a, a total jerk. Go ahead and steal some money from him. Yeah, he, he did this and he did that. So uh, go ahead and sleep with his wife. No. He says, how can I do this wicked thing against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. But when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, he said, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Manipulation. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. You have this situation where, understand, Joseph, 
I'm sure was tempted. It's not like, you know, she's some old hag that is like, <laughs> are you kidding? You're ugly. Get away. Like, I'm sure it was a tempting situation. But he had resolved in his heart, I cannot do this wicked thing. Even when she took him by surprise. And that's why the resolved in your heart, the committed to God, has to be there. What does that mean? That means you decide beforehand. You don't just leave your life to open to whichever way the wind blows. And then all of a sudden, <gasps> I'm dealing with this situation. I, caught, I got caught blindsided and now I don't know what to do. Because now I'm right in the middle of having to make a decision and I feel pressured. And not only do I feel pressured, but this is tempting and I would like to. And now I've got to decide. But he, he, in his heart, was resolved, just like Daniel, in his heart, was resolved that he was not going to defile himself with the king's meat and the things that had been sacrificed to other gods. Even when the rest of the world says, oh, it's okay. It's okay. No one will know. Everybody does it. It's not a big deal. We are set at a higher standard. We are the king's children. We are royalty. We don't act like the world. We do not look like the world. We don't speak like the world. You are royalty. You are the king's child. So he resolves in his heart, I'm not going to do this against God. He's my master. He's my king. Now he finds himself thrown in prison. Well, that worked out well for me, right? Now I'm in prison. But you know what's interesting? The closer he gets to the, his, his dream, he doesn't know it, but the closer he gets to his dream, the vision, his destiny, the worse situation it is. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes the worse the situation is, the closer we're getting to completing the dream. The closer we're getting to fulfilling the vision. So now he's in the pits of the palace, the pits of the dungeon. But he's closer to his destiny. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, but he is. And he's result now he has another reason to be like fed up. I'm doing everything I can for this guy. I have done nothing but serve him right. Again. I'm sure he's dealing with anger, bitterness, frustration. Why do I even bother? Why do I even bother doing this? Why do I bother doing the right thing? But he doesn't, he doesn't back off. He chooses to remain strong. He chooses to remain steadfast. And as he's in prison, if you read, it says that even the warden saw that he was excellent at what he did, and he did everything the way he was supposed to. He, ra he raises him up to the top, and he doesn't concern himself with anything in the prison. And he gives all the responsibility to, to Joseph and says, you know what, you run things, you're great at this. Uh, I've, been, I've been looking for a guy like you. I've been looking for someone that I can hand this stuff off to. And he's, he's in prison. And then in comes these other two guys. And now I'll uh, just paraphrase. These two guys come from the palace. They uh, frustrated Pharaoh in some way. So they come into the dungeon or into the, the prison because they must have got on his bad side that day or whatever. Pharaoh throws them into the prison, and they were the, the butler and the baker. And they're sleeping in the, or they're in the prison now, but they both have a dream one night. But they can't interpret the dream. They don't know what it means. And so uh, they tell the dream. Uh, the butler, he has this, or the cupbearer, he has this dream that, that he uh, has these grapes and he's squeezing it into the, the cup of the, the pharaoh. And, and then the other one has a dream that these birds are coming and eating the bread off the baskets uh, of his head. And they're like, we don't know what this means. But we're at point number three, so let me tell you point number three. Point number three is you have to continue to steward the gifts that God has given you. You have to continue to steward the gifts God has given you. 
Joseph could have been sitting, you know, in the corner of his, of his whatever they put him in and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm done dealing with people. Every time I put myself out there, I get hurt. Every time I try to do the right thing, it just backfires on me. But he doesn't. He, he stays with a heart of servanthood. And he stays with a heart of excellence. And then he comes across these guys, and they're telling him the dream. And, and he said, I can interpret your dream. He doesn't say actually him. He said, God's the one that can interpret your dream. And so he, he interprets the dreams. You're going to end up back in the palace, but your head's going to be required of you. And it comes to pass. But he tells the, the butler, he says, but when you get back there, tell Pharaoh about me because I'm here undeserving. I didn't do what was accused of me. So please do what you can to get me out. Well, the butler goes back to his position, but he forgets. He forgets this guy named Joseph that just uh, interpreted his dream for two years. Joseph had his dream when he was, it says, around 17. 13, 14 years have gone by. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And he's got to guard the dream. And he's got to protect the dream, even when it seems like the dream has died. Even when it seems absolutely impossible. How in the world? I haven't seen my family for, for 14 years. There's no way. I'm not going to see them again. But he hits a time when the Pharaoh has a dream. So the Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody in the palace can interpret it. And then all of a sudden, the butler, aha, uh -huh, there was this guy. He's probably still in prison, and that's all my fault. But <laughs> there's this guy. He interpreted my dream. And so they, they get... Uh, Joseph ready, they bring him out, they, they bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. But I want you to notice something. Look at uh, chapter 41. Let's see where it's at here. He tells them the, the interpretation of the dream. But look at verse 33. So he finishes and he says, this is what your dream means, Pharaoh. But then he follows up with this. He says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint the commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in, in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon the land of Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. And the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh said, how can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all the people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now it's interesting, because not only did Joseph interpret the dream, but he went a step further, and he did what Joseph does best. And you know what that is? He solved a problem. He didn't just say, you know, Pharaoh, this is what your dream in means. You're going to have seven years uh, here in the land of Egypt of abundance, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. So sorry. I don't know what to tell you. He came up with a solution. He said, but you know, Pharaoh, if you do this, and you do this, and you set men over the land, and you store up these reserves, and you take a fifth of the grain, and you do this, and you have people over them in each one of the cities, and you have storehouses, then I think you're going to be okay. He came up with a solution. He was a problem solver. You want to you rise to the top? Be a problem solver. Be a problem solver for your employee or your employer, for your boss, for whoever uh, it is that you're, you be a problem solver. And I don't mean problems that they just don't know how to solve on their own. Like, well, we have this big problem and I don't know how to solve it. 
I'm talking like, what's on their plate that, that wastes their time, that they wish they had some, someone to do that for them? You know what? You create a position for yourself when you do that. You create a, a position whenever you say, you know what, let me take that off your hands. Let me do that for you. I'll make sure this is done every day and you're faithful and committed to getting that done. Do you not think your boss is going to take note of that? He's going to be like, man, I love you. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that we make room for you. And that's exactly what Joseph did. His gift made room for him. So we can't shy back from our gifts. And we can't say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just done with all this nonsense. I'm not going to give to anybody anymore. I'm, I'm done dealing with people, and I'm done dealing with the backlash of this. And just, I'm going to sit here in my corner and just grow resentful. I'm going to sit here in my corner and just mind my own business. Because here's the thing. We can, we can do, number one, and have a dream, and do, number two, and, and stay committed to God and do the right things and, and be pono, be um, be, do the right thing in Hawaiian. Be pono. Do the right thing. Even when nobody's looking. Even when nobody is, is there to tell you to do it right. Even when nobody is, is saying, I need you to do this. You do it anyway. You do it because you're doing it for God. Somebody can do those two things, but then still back away to the corner and not offer their gifts and not serve and not give what it is that God's put on the inside of them and, and say, you know what, I can, I can be a help here. I can fill in this gap. I can solve this problem. I can be the person that, that does this. As he did these three things, his dream came to pass and came to fulfillment. Because we can even... At times, look good on the outside, but in the inside, because this one right here is really a heart, a heart one. It really, truly is, because we can even go through motions. We can, let's put it in a church setting for a second. We can come into church and sit here and be like, "Well, I'm here. I'm staying committed to God, but I'm I'm still mad at so and so." I'm still mad at the pastor. I'm still mad because so-and-so did this or said this. I'm still, I'm still mad, but I'm here. I'm staying committed to God. I'm here for God. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but what does God look at? The heart. So on the outward appearance, it looks all great because you're here. <laughs> and you might fool man. But God says, I look at the heart. Is your heart pure? Is your heart undefiled? Is it serving with the right manner? Are you keeping it pure? Just like the, the holiness series that we've been going through around the table. Keeping it pure and making sure it's undefiled and that you're not allowing those things to, to creep in. Being excellent, being loyal. You know, Joseph was loyal despite the fact that he was betrayed. Both times. Even beyond betrayal, he was loyal and he was excellent. So sometimes the gifting, sometimes the fruit, sometimes the mission that God wants us to be on is being faithful, having a good attitude, even when we're faced with just, man, I'd like to just punch somebody right now. If I could get a hold of that Potiphar, if I could get a hold of that butler, all he had to do was just drop my name, you know? That's it. <laughs> and he didn't. But he, Joseph chose to stay excellent. He chose to stay faithful. He chose to continue to serve. He chose, and then at the right moment, he went from prisoner to second in command. And only the throne itself was the only thing that Pharaoh said, they only respect me higher just because of the throne. Other than that, you are in charge. I mean, this is high elevation. He gives him a signet ring, so he pretty much has the stamp to do whatever he wants. Huge authority was given to him one night. One night. 
but we have to keep the dream alive. What is it you're contending for? What is it that you've, you're desiring? And it could be multiple things. But you've got to have that dream, and you've got to keep it before you, and you've got to keep looking at it. You've got to protect it. You've got to bring the word in around it. Sometimes it's a word in your spirit because you may not find in here an exact word for something because it's dealing with you personally and where you are supposed to be. That I'm to go to this place. I'm to go to this school. I'm supposed to do this thing. I'm called to this. It's a personal word for you. But if the Lord has spoken it to you, then that's your word that's your dream that's your vision and if that is what God has given you then you don't let it die even despite the circumstances when it looks impossible I don't have this this isn't going on the the things are not lining up for me I've got this going on and then this person hurts me and I thought they were the way that it was going to happen I thought this person my connect with this person was going to make that happen And now I'm deflated. Now it just looks like everything crashed. I refuse to get offended. I refuse to let bitterness sit in. I refuse to allow myself to be taken out. I refuse to to set and look like I'm committed to God, but my heart is far from him. I refuse. It's like when we talked around the table about the the water bottle. The water bottle might get thrown around in a lot of junk places, in a mud puddle. Bugs might crawl on it. It might get kicked. It might get battered. It might get thrown around and and thrown back and forth between kids and dropped a few times. And, yeah, you wouldn't want to lick the outside. But if the contents are still protected, then the water is still pure. We can deal with a lot of things on the outside. Circumstances can come. But are we keeping our heart pure? Are we keeping our motives right? Are we we standing before the Lord on a regular basis saying, Lord, I got to make sure that I'm not holding bitterness in my heart, resentment, unforgiveness? Because Joseph chose all these things. He chose not to be bitter, not to sleep with the woman. Not to lie, not to cheat. We don't know all the thoughts that went through his head, but he chose not to, and he chose to stay committed to God above the dream, even when the dream looked like it had been canceled. And you look at every person in the Bible that God uses as an example. Look at Esther. You know what she had to do? Because she was in the comfort of a palace, and Mordecai comes and says, Esther, You've got to stand up. You've got to take your place now. And she's like, I could be killed. If I go before the king, he can have my head. Like, he can kill me. If he's having a bad day. And he says, were you not born for such a time as this? And so what did she say? She said, if I perish, I perish. But that's the heart we have to have. I am committed to God above the dream. If I perish, I perish. If this happens, then it happens, but I'm staying with God. If it looks like this job doesn't work out, I'm staying with God. If it looks like this thing doesn't come, I'm staying with God. If this person betrays me, I'm staying with God. If they disappoint me, I'm staying with God. If they say something hurtful, I'm staying with God. If I don't get to go down this path that I thought I was going to, I'm staying with God, and I'm not compromising. And I see a room full. You're here on a Wednesday night, so you're here because you want to be here. I see a room full of people that are saying, I am staying with God. I am committed to God above all else. And that's the heart that God is looking for, one that is wholly devoted to him. The eyes of the Lord search this earth. He looks. His eyes roam the earth, searching for one whose heart is fully committed to him. And then he shows himself strong on their behalf. Isn't that awesome? So expect some great things coming your way. Even as the things that you have written down, 
If you need to put words around them, put words around them. If you need to go back to a prophetic word that was given to you, then bring that to remembrance and write it down. If you need to find scripture to back up what it is that you're you're pursuing and going for, if it's a home, if it's a, you know, whatever it may be that you're choosing, like this is what I'm, I'm believing for. This is what I'm contending for. Put words around it. Put scriptures around it. Begin to declare it out. But beyond anything, even when something looks like, oh yeah, maybe this is it. If it falls through and it's not the right thing and the enemy tries to bait you to say, oh, well, I'll give you this, but you have to give up this with God. You say, no, I'm committed to God. I'm not following the dream more than I'm following God. And he will bless you time and time again, more than what you could thought, think, or imagine. Amen? Hallelujah. Why don't we bow our heads? I just want to pray over you guys. Father, I thank you for putting dreams in people's lives, for speaking to them, bringing back to life. In fact, I speak right now to things that may have been dead. I command you to come back to life in Jesus' name, in the hearts of men and women. Lord, if there are assignments that are still to be fulfilled, I call them back into alignment in Jesus' name. No matter what the past may have been, I call it back into the forefront. That, Father, you give us a heart that is committed and devoted to you. That, Lord, we resolve in our heart that we will not follow anything other than you. Nothing takes your place. Lord, we will, we will be committed all of our days, no matter what comes our way. No sin will wipe us out. No wicked thing. Nothing of, of, of a, a bait or, or trying to distract. We choose today to follow you. We choose today to stay committed to you. And you have to make that resolve in your own heart today. So, Father, even as I'm praying this, I pray, Lord, that you move upon people's hearts, that there is a, a, a full commitment in people's hearts today to follow you. And as they do, I thank you, Lord, that you are always, ever faithful to completing the thing that you have called them to do. For you will finish the work that you started in them. And I thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.